President Normal does a lot of not normal things. Science continues to take a backseat on COVID, and Reddit investors pull off the biggest prank in modern history. I'm Levi Erickson, and this is The Levi Erickson Show. Alrighty, we are back. We are have a lot of news to cover today because this week has been chaotic. But let's start with the Biden presidency. So the media loves to press this narrative that the Biden presidency is the most normal presidency. He's a return to normalcy candidate. He's a return to normalcy president. He is just so normal. And there's really nothing to really look at. I mean, they don't really have a job anymore. You actually see journalists and reporters actively get spreading this message that they're basically useless now. They're like, what are we supposed to report on? Well, we don't have anything like crazy going on in the White House, like when we had President Trump in the White House. And yes, Trump was not a normal candidate either. He was not a normal candidate, but not in terms of his policy. His policy was actually pretty normal. It was his rhetoric and his behavior that was abnormal. Biden's the exact opposite. His rhetoric is pretty normal, other than the fact that he can't string together four complete sentences. But other than that, he's a very normal candidate in terms of how Whole, uh, carries himself the things he says the things he does uh, he thinks he says and his his definitely his like actions but on the policy level he is very very abnormal for starters he has 42 executive orders thus far in his presidency that is a huge jump from his predecessors in the previous uh, administrations from obama to trump they've had under five executive orders for each of them some presidents had zero in the first 100 days of office because executive orders aren't supposed to be used to just bypass Congress all the time. You're supposed to actually have to work with Congress to pass legislation. Executive orders were only supposed to be used to actually do what Congress wanted you to do. They would send you like, hey, you got to do this. And he would use executive orders to get that done. That's not what's happening. He's bypassing Congress completely and actually just facilitating himself as the executive and legislative branch, which has had a bunch of backlash from the right, but even some places on the left are starting to take note. The New York Times, which is no friend to the right, I don't think there's a single Trump-supporting reporter, journal, articleist, whatever you call them, at the New York Times. It is strictly a liberal organization. But even they are saying that this is getting a little ridiculous. New York Times opinion piece, quote, ease up on the executive actions, Joe. President, excuse me, quote, President Biden is moving aggressively to turn the page on the Trump era. A week into his presidency, Mr. Biden has issued a raft of executive orders and other actions. Already, he has committed to rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, ended the Muslim travel ban, canceled the permits for the Keystone XL pipeline, rescinded funding for for and halted construction on the wall at the southern border, reaffirmed the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, mandated mask wearing on federal grounds, moved to end the federal government's reliance on private prisons, reversed the ban on transgender military service, and called for agency assessments aimed at advancing racial equity. Just to name a few, the coming days will bring more such actions. These moves are met with cheers by Democrats and others eager to see the legacy of Donald Trump's presidency dismantled post-haste. Republicans, meanwhile, are grumbling about President's overreach and accusing Mr. Biden of betraying his pledge to unity. In other words, things are going the same way as they often do in Washington. There's a sort of tribalism when it comes to use of executive orders, observes John Huddock, a senior fellow in the governance studies at the Brookings Institute. 
Uh, when your party's in the White House, it's the greatest thing on earth. When your party's out, it's an undemocratic. It's basically Satan's pen. So basically, end quote. All of this is trying to say is that Biden is basically sidestepping all the legislative branch. He's basically made himself the legislative branch in doing all these executive orders. That is extremely abnormal. Other abnormal things he's done. The amount of jobs he's killed in his first few days of presidency. I mean, he's been in office for less than two weeks and he has already killed 11,000 construction jobs, which is funny because originally when, when conservatives were making these claims of all these jobs he was killing, Washington Post were actually doing fact checks on them. We're like, well, he's actually not, they're, he's not killing that many jobs. But when they actually investigated it and tried to do a fact check, they un, mistakenly admitted that they actually, that he has killed over 11,000 construction jobs thus far. That is also very abnormal. And with this presidency is having all these different people in his administration saying really, really abnormal things that used to be frowned upon by the Democratic Party, but now they're being accepted because they're coming from their very normal, very normal president. John Kerry, one of his White House staff uh, people, says, quote, what President Biden, well, he was asked, excuse me, he was asked about what he thinks about all these construction jobs being lost, what Biden is actually doing to kill a lot of these jobs in the name of, of climate change and global warming and making, making the climate better. He's killing all these jobs. And so John Kerry says, quote, what President Biden wants to do is make sure these folks have better choices that they can do. They can beat people to go work on the, on solar panels, end quote. And so what's so interesting about that narrative is he's basically saying, you know, I know we're kicking you guys out of all, all your jobs. I know that really sucks. You guys are, you guys are losing your, your jobs, your paycheck. You guys are financially unstable, but hey, you can just learn to do a new job. You can just learn to install solar panels, which is funny because that used to be the most racist argument that the right used to make all the time. According to the left, it was racist is that we used to say when people lost their jobs, like, oh, you just got to learn to code. Oh, you just got to learn to code. And people are like, oh, that's so racist. That's that's just not how the world works. And I'm actually not a fan of the learn to code argument because I don't think it really works rationally. But that's not the point. The point is when the right says that argument, everyone freaks out. When the left says that argument, no one says a word because it's a very normal presidency. It's a very, very normal, but it's not normal. And people are losing their jobs and Biden is becoming the legislative branch and no one wants to talk about it. In regards to Biden's COVID policy, it has been insane to say the least it basically all he's doing is just taking all of trump's policies that he liked and saying yep these are all my policies from the get-go all of my uh policies that trump accomplished were actually my accomplishments and then all of trump's failures were actually just his failures they were not my failures so for example you hear this all the time in the news now the 100 million vaccinations in 100 days line now first of all it was actually Trump who on, on Biden's first day of office, they were already doing over 100 or excuse me, 1 million vaccinations a day, over a million vaccinations a day. But then the Biden team came and said, yeah, that's actually our plan when it was the exact same plan. Actually, originally it was even less than that plan. Originally he said 80 million a day. And then they found out we were already doing our 80 million in 800 days. And then we already found out he was already doing a million a day. And he was like, oh, okay, we'll do a hundred million in 100 days. Well, it turns out that those vaccinations aren't 100 million vaccinated people. They're 100 million vaccinations. And the COVID vaccine, you need two to be vaccinated. So really, this is only theoretically 50 million people that are going to be vaccinated in 100 days. So that's not really an accomplishment. Actually, that's even less than the original Trump projected plans. 
So exactly how is this a huge accomplishment? But this is just that's the a reoccurring trend of the Biden administration. Biden blames Trump for all current COVID problems because he says, oh, you know what? These are just rollover problems that that Trump handed to us. He handed us no plan. He handed us the baton and told us to run the rest of the, 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 the lap. And we really had nothing to work with, which is all completely BS. But then when it flips the other coin and everything is starting to look good with COVID, every time a state reopens, every time something in the vaccination actually develops, he's like, oh, that's all me. That was all me, not Trump. That was all me. And you can't have it both ways. You can make the argument that Biden was handed a crappy situation and he's having to deal with it. You can also argue that he's handed a a decent situation and he's just going to inherit uh, a much better uh, outcourse from that situation. You can't argue both at the same time and just argue both sides of the same coin. It doesn't work that way. Now, his COVID policy also entitles people in Guantanamo Bay, which holds some of the 9-11 terrorists. uh, They were actually getting COVID vaccines before any of us were. They were getting COVID vaccines when my grandparents in Washington are stuck in their homes because they can't leave without fear of getting COVID and dying. But Apparently that's not super important. So they're, they're just giving it to terrorists and other Guantanamo Bay detainees, which is absolutely ridiculous. Thankfully, once this news story is broke, they actually halted that plan, but that was a plan to begin with, which is absurd. In other news, CNBC has uh, released a study that suggests that wearing two masks is actually more beneficial and maybe even three masks saying that two masks is 75% effective and three masks is 90% effective, which makes me beg the question, why not four masks? Why not five? Why not six? Aren't we trying to get to as close as 100% effectiveness as possible? I mean, I've actually argued that if you just put a trash bag over your head, you're going to have 100% uh, 100% effectiveness against COVID. Um, If you put a trash bag over your head, you might die of other things like suffocation, but at least you won't die of COVID. So that was pretty hilarious for me to see, honestly. And then what was the best part about this is Fauci came out and says that he actually approves of that. So he says, yeah, we should actually start uh, saying people to wear multiple masks, to wear two, to wear three masks, to increase your effectiveness rate and kind of reach the N95 effectiveness rate. Then the White House came out and said, no, we disagree with that assessment. There's actually other underlying conditions that can make that uh, actually harmful and unproductive. And so this is really interesting to me too, because the media isn't freaking out. Remember every time that the Trump administration went contrary or said anything contrary to what Fauci was saying, they were saying, oh my gosh, you're, you're disagreeing with the king of science. You're just arguing with the the arbiter of all that's true and good in the world. And they were bashing Trump left and right for anything he said that was anti what Fauci had said. But when Biden administration does it, it's completely fine because it's just a normal presidency, guys. There's nothing to report on. And this is not just a one-time thing with the White House and Fauci disagreeing on things in the Biden administration. Fauci actually backed a CDC research paper on schools reopening. He said that the CDC research that we're seeing right now is suggesting that schools definitely should be reopening. And the the risk to children is almost zero, especially small children. I'm not talking about high school or middle school kids, but if you're under the age of 10, your risk of dying from COVID is essentially zero. And like on a statistical level, there's a million other ways you could die than COVID. And the teachers aren't getting it from students because the transmission rates from children to adults is extremely low. You have more likely a chance getting it from a teacher going to the bar that weekend and getting COVID from there. That's the other thing. Bars are open and schools are not, which is just 
part and parcel of this idea that that science doesn't lead COVID. Politics is leading COVID right now. Politics is what's making all these decisions. For example, there's more deaths, there's more COVID deaths than ever before in the United States right now. We are seeing more COVID deaths per day than we have ever seen in this pandemic. And yet California decides to open up. Why exactly? Well, we asked them, we were like, hey, why exactly are you uh, reopening your state right now? It seems like things have never been worse in regards to COVID. What kind of metrics are you using to reopen your state? And what did California say? We're not going to release that information at this time. The reason being is because this has nothing to do with science, because if they were locking down for COVID and then reopening up for COVID, then you would wait until COVID got better, right? But no, it's because it's not about science. It's all about politics. People on the right were called conspiracy theorists because they thought that once Biden became president, that all of these lockdowns and COVID would just start to disappear. And people were like, you got, and they were being a little dramatic on that point, but they were right in the sense that people were stopped going to freak out all the time. I mean, how much have you heard about COVID in the news the last few weeks? It's been a lot less than you heard about Trump, especially the way they report it. When they're talking about COVID, they're like, oh, there's, there's a few thousand unfortunate, uh, nothing we could do deaths. That's how they're reporting it now, which is how they should have reported it the entire time. But when it was Trump as president, they're like, these are a few hundred deaths that people have died today that are all Trump's fault. Trump basically killed these few hundred people. So they just have this, these double standards left and right. And it's not anything about science. It's about politics because now that Biden is presidency, is president, they can reopen their states. And you know what's going to happen? Well, when the economy is finally open again and they can finally do business again, the economy is going to go like this and skyrocket back up. And then everyone's going to go, oh my gosh, Biden is leading this wonderful economic recovery when really it's just states finally deciding they're not going to lock down their citizens anymore and finally let businesses be businesses and operate at their expense. But instead, this is, but, but during the Trump presidency, that was, that was forbidden because you don't want to have any unnecessary deaths and you got to wait until this, this virus is completely shut down before we reopen anything again. And there's just all these double standards left and right. And there's no real science being involved in any of this. It's completely politics is the point I'm going to stress over and over and over again. Another study has shown that COVID policy might actually end up killing more young Americans than COVID itself. And when I say young Americans, I don't even mean the 10-year-olds. I mean Americans under the age of 40 might die more of excess overdose and excess suicides and other depression-based lockdown COVID policy issues than COVID itself. Now, the reason we don't know these exact numbers yet is because we actually haven't seen the fruition of how many COVID deaths we're going to see and how many excess suicide and excess overdoses we're going to see. But that's a, that's something that people have to consider is that why haven't we pursuing a policy where people under 40 or even under the age of 65 can go out and live their lives and actually assume the individual risk and let people over the age of 65 to, and say, you guys should really lock yourself down. It's kind of dangerous once you're at the age of 65 and up, especially if you're at the age of 70, 75, 80, 85, exponentially more dangerous. So why haven't we been preaching that message? Because Trump was in office and we wanted to make him look as bad as possible, of course. And the left has the same mentality all the time where they just believe that the more centralized your power is, the more centralized government you can have, it'll cure all of your problems. Centralized government is always the answer. And when it doesn't work, it's not because there was centralized government. It's because there wasn't enough centralized government. It's 
literally a, a, a an ideology that you can't falsify because you can always say, look, you you gave all the power to one guy and things are still bad. And you're like, no, 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 you didn't give all the power. It wasn't enough power. If you gave him more power, everything would be fine. And this mentality doesn't even work on a state-by-state basis. If you were actually looking at the different states and how the media have been reporting on it, look at the states that had the most centralized power. California, New York, New Jersey, all these states had a lot of centralized power cramming down on their civilians. And everyone in the media was praising them, saying, yes, these are the best governors in the country. They are saving lives. They're stopping COVID deaths. And then they were bashing places like South Dakota and Florida, especially Florida, bashing them left and right, bashing their their governor, saying that he wasn't saving their citizens, that they were just going to have a ton of excess COVID deaths. And based on this reporting, you would assume that Florida would be probably in the top top three deaths per million by state in the United States, or maybe even top five, top 10, top 15. No, it's not even top 20. Florida ranks 26th deaths per million by state in the United States, 26th. And Florida hasn't shut down and they have a massive population with a lot of old people. Why haven't they all died? Because the people can individually assess their risk levels and they can actually go out and live their lives and not kill each other because people can go and do their, I as an individual can decide that COVID isn't that dangerous for me and I can go about my daily life and I can avoid people that might be at risk. I haven't visited my grandparents, even though I really want to, because they're both my grandparents are at severe risk of dying from COVID. So I'm not going to go visit them and potentially give them COVID. People are individual as individuals are way better determining that stuff than any government organization or centralized government. Plus COVID has way more to do with population density than anything else. COVID policy doesn't save you. Centralized government doesn't save you. Individuals acting on good information. That's what saves people. That's what all that does when the free market can develop vaccines that save people, when individuals can assess their risk level and avoid, and they have good information to act upon, that saves people. When you have an economy that's open and it keeps people in their jobs and it keeps people working and not depressed, that saves people. Shutting down everything and just listening to a centralized government doesn't save everybody. And maybe you're one of those people that says, well, it's, it's really more about the absolute number of deaths, the absolute number of COVID deaths per day. Then where does Florida rank up? Well, in the top three, number one is California with the most COVID deaths per day and the reopening of their state. Keep in mind that. Uh, number two is New York, New York state. They are also beginning to reopen their state and uh, they have the second most COVID deaths in the United States. Number three is Florida with a ton more old people than everyone else. And they have a completely different policy prescription for COVID. So maybe it doesn't have much as much to do as policy as it just has to do with population density. The virus spreads in different, uh, in, in, in different people and kills different people based on age, based on your transmission rates with other people. There's way more to consider here than just, oh, it's just centralized government policy. Now, moving past all of the COVID news, BLM has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, which is probably the most ironic piece of news I've seen in a very long time because the last time uh, I checked, uh, I didn't see uh, very many Nobel Peace Prizes being handed out to the capital rioters. I mean, I that, that it seems a little bit of a double standard there that, that the capital rioters didn't hand out a Nobel, didn't get a Nobel Peace Prize if the BLM not was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Well, because the capital rioters, capital rioters shouldn't get a Nobel Peace Prize. They cause an 
terrible amount of violence, death, tons of property destruction. And the same goes for the BLM rioters all over the country for the last six months. But they're nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. But it's, I mean, that's not really a surprise to anyone. They are an extremely political organization that gives Barack Obama peace prizes despite the fact that he was droning civilians. And he, they refused to give Donald Trump a Nobel Peace Prize despite the fact that he facilitated one of the, if not the greatest peace deal in the Middle East ever. So there's that for you. Uh, a quick note on Trump's impeachment. Essentially, it's going to be a, an impeachment hearing in the Senate, which will be as dead on arrival, as they like to say. Basically, nothing's going to happen there. Trump's going to get called in for a trial of, of some sort. And essentially what they're making the argument is that Trump, Trump's incitement of violence, uh, that happened at the Capitol is warranting him to have impeachment. And I don't like Trump's rhetoric. I don't like what he said, but even if you're going to argue that it was insightful of violence, even though he specifically said it was peaceful, that is way too broad of a standard. As I mentioned before on the show, if you apply the standard that people are responsible for their actions, then that makes Bernie Sanders responsible for the baseball student. That makes Barack Obama responsible for people going out and killing cops during his presidency. These are all different. The, the standards, these neutral principles aren't being applied evenly to everyone. They're being applied in political senses and not in others, which is going to backfire on both sides of the aisle if this continues because then next time you have someone who who gives a speech and someone takes that speech and, and determines that that mean that's meaning to go and commit violence they're going to be held accountable for that that seems like a really dangerous precept to actually keep up now my favorite piece of the news of the last week and probably the last year really is this gamestop stock reddit investment prank which is hilarious to me. I think it's one of the funniest stories I've seen in a very long time. For those of you that don't know, essentially what happened is a bunch of hedge fund managers managers were going to short a bunch of these stocks that they believed were going to go down. Now, for those of you who do not know what stock shorting is, it's a lot more simple than it may sound. So essentially, it would be like me. Let's say I want to go and short GameStop, okay? So I go... And I go to my friend, my cameraman, Greg, and I go, hey, I, I want to borrow your stock. His stock is worth $10. I want to borrow your stock. So I'm going to take that stock and pay him $1 for that stock in, in, as, a, as a borrowing fee. So I take that stock and then I'm hoping that, and I go and sell that stock and get the $10. So I have $10 in cash. Now I'm looking at that stock and I'm hoping that it drops down to $5. Because then when it, once it drops down to $5, what I can go do with my $10 I can go buy that stock. So now I have $5 in stock and $5 in cash. I can go and bring that stock back to Greg and give it back to him, returning my borrowed stock. So in the end of the day, I made $4 off of that stock. That's how stock shorting works. It's really not as complicated as it may sound. It's simply just borrowing stock and sell and uh, selling it and buying it at a cheaper price and returning the borrowed stock. Now, what this, what can be bad about this is what happened with these Reddit investors. So essentially what happened is a bunch of people on Reddit found out that a bunch of these hedge fund managers were going to be shorting these stocks. And so what they did is they were like, okay, well, what if that $10 stock, what if we got that stock up to $20? Then they'd be really screwed. So they, a bunch of Reddit investors all decided just, just as a joke, just as a prank to go and buy a ton of GameStop's GameStop stock and other companies to make them skyrocket and make them so that the 
the hedge fund managers would have to buy them at that higher rate, furthering continuing the GameStop price up and up and up, making it so GameStop was actually worth more than Delta Airlines at some point. And there was a ton of different companies that they were doing this with, which is just hilarious to me. But one of the things I want to clarify is this actually shouldn't be an issue of of anti-like hedge funds or anti-Wall Street. Now, if you want to make this about anti-anything other than just being a prank and it's kind of funny, is that it should be just anti-bailouts because I'm not actually one that really hates these hedge fund fund managers or these Wall Street guys. I think they actually perform a service. They evaluate stocks. They try to see if a stock is overvalued or undervalued. I think they actually provide a good public service. But what's important to know is that these guys actually, the reason that you can be anti them is because they don't actually have the same risks that me and you have when we invest. When we invest, if we make a bad investment, we can lose our money. When hedge fund managers and these Wall Street guys lose their money and they go bankrupt, the government can bail them out. And that's what really is the, the if you're going to make this about any like righteous, uh, moral good, it should be based on the anti bailouts, not necessarily anti hedge fund managers and anti Wall Street guys because they're just doing their jobs and then they, luckily get the benefit of the government bashing them out. So it should be anti-bailouts and anti-government for actually allowing such practices. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll get right back. And we're going to be talking about Dogecoin and all the other things that have transgressed from this massive, massive prank. Uh, you were listening to the Levi Erickson Show. All right. So other news, Dogecoin was actually one of the other places that blew up, but Dogecoin isn't a company, it's a cryptocurrency. But what's something that I didn't know that I think that everyone should know now is that Dogecoin actually doesn't have a market cap. So its value just fluctuates based on how much are in circulation, which doesn't have a cap. So the value of it can just go down and down and down forever and ever and ever, which is, was ironic because it actually blew up up to eight cents, but that was like a 4,000 plus percent increase in just in just a few hours. So basically what these Reddit guys have been doing is just picking a stock, picking up a cryptocurrency and just blowing it up for really no reason other than just it's funny. And uh, I think it's hilarious too, but also it's going to make the the market seem way more like a casino than it really is. I know a lot of people just like to think of the stock market as just a big casino and it's just all gambling. There's a lot more to it than that. But if this if this trend, kind of trend continues, if we're just picking a stock and fluctuating it for no reason, it will look a lot more like a casino and there will be a lot less value in the stock market if that continues. So keep that in mind. Now, you would like to think that the the, the normal President Biden would have some sort of answer to all this. Like, what is he going to do about all this regulation? Is he going to actually get involved in any of this? Because it wasn't just that the stock market was being fluctuated by these guys. No, Robinhood even got involved and actually joined the sides of the, the hedge fund managers. And Robinhood basically said that, yeah, you, I'm not going to let uh, small-time investors, retail investors uh, actually get involved in the stock market right now because you guys are doing all this this crazy stuff. So they they said that we can no longer buy any of those GameStop stocks or the AMC stock or the Nokia stock or the BlackBerry stock and basically forced a market crash to help their hedge fund managers. Now, if this was some sort of collusion in any way, it is actually legal and there are actually going to be some uh, serious consequences if we find out that that was the case. And if we find out that there was actually governments involved in this, like if there's people in the government calling up Robinhood and, and telling them to pressuring them to stand, uh, to stop this, to save their hedge fund manager buddies some money, that's going to be a huge, huge deal. So the White House was actually asked about this and they were like, Hey, what are you going to, 
what are you going to do about all this stuff? What are you guys going to handle this? How is the SEC going to look at this? But don't worry, your White House is working hard for you. They're on it. The White House press secretary uh, responded to that really important question with this, quote, I'm happy to repeat that we have the first female Treasury secretary, end quote. Don't you feel good now? Don't you feel good that the uh, the first, the Treasury Secretary has a vagina? Isn't that fantastic? We're all saved now. She has a vagina, so we're all good to go. We are swell because that's all that really matters anymore is that if you have the right genitalia or you are in some sort of minority community, then you have all of the progress, all of the intellect to solve all the problems. So that was wonderful to hear. I feel a lot more comforted about it now. Now, one of the really cool things that actually happened after this and Robin Hood doing that to a lot of people is it made a lot of people on all sides of the political spectrum really ticked off. So we got to see a quick little cool moment from AOC and Ted Cruz, just probably one of the most prominent left wing and probably one of the most prominent right wing characters in American politics. So what we got to see is Alexander Ocasio-Cortez posted this this little tweet. This is unacceptable. We need to know more about at Robinhood's app decision to block retail investors from purchasing stock while hedge funds could manipulate the stock price. And so Ted Cruz responded to that and said, I fully agree. Absolutely. And so it was a kind of a beautiful moment of unity. And I actually tweeted about this. I was like, this is awesome. This is what true unity looks like. You know, we have a find a place of common ground. We can have someone on the right, someone on the left get together and actually fight the man, you know? And it was going to be wonderful. Well, that lasted a, lot, a whole one hour. And AOC responded with this quote. I am happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago. So you can sit with this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. So you might be thinking to yourself, um, I don't remember Ted Cruz trying to kill AOC. I don't remember him like breaking into her house and trying to kill her or anything like that. It's because it didn't happen. That's completely what she's talking about. And she's saying that because he uh, held the process to actually try to overturn electoral votes, that he was responsible for the Capitol riots, which... I'm not really seeing the correlation there other than the fact that maybe some of the capital rights agreed with Ted Cruz on the politics. And I wanted to think that I don't think what Ted Cruz was good. I think that the pol- his politics on that matter were completely wrong. I'm not one that thinks that the election was rigged. I think that the federal government trying to overturn electoral college votes was really, really damaging to our demo- democratic system. But then to suggest the jump from that to suggest that Ted Cruz is somehow responsible for the capital rights. And then on top of that, the capital rights were trying to kill AOC. And then Ted Cruz was doing the capital rights to kill AOC as a lot of weird jumps. So this whole idea of unity message that Biden, that Biden has been preaching, that the left keeps saying that now Trump's out of office, we're all unified again, just all warm, fuzzy feelings. It's all BS, completely BS. There's no unity that's going to happen if the left continues how it's going to happen because every time that the right reaches out its hand, it reaches out its olive branch and says, yes, let's work together on an issue that we agree on. The left slaps us in the face. Now, the last issue I want to cover today is climate change because that's been a big talking point of the Biden administration. They're really hammering through that with all of Biden's wonderful newfound power and the executive orders. And so there's a few things that need to be talked about. I'm not going to talk about any of 
Biden's policies right now. I'm just going to talk about the climate change as a broader discussion. Now, climate change, there's really only three things to consider. Okay. Number one, if you want to work with climate change on a policy level, there's only one policy, one policy that makes a significant difference in climate change. And if you're not willing to talk about that, then you're not really serious about climate policy. This policy is a global carbon tax. It's the only policy that would actually seriously reduce the carbon emissions of the entire planet, but it would have to be enforced on a global level. The practical implications of this are almost impossible to do. You'd have to reach out to China and India, all these developing countries that are just starting to get into like their industrial levels and try to actually make their countries better. They would have, we have to go to them like, Hey, every time you put carbon in the air, you're going to have to pay us some money. Um, that's not going to happen on a practical level, but if you actually wanted to change stuff about the carbon input into the air on a global level that would actually impact climate change, that's what you'd have to do. So if you're not willing to talk about that, then maybe your, your solution isn't really on a, uh, on a policy level. Your solution is in adaptation, right? If we're not going to work on a global level on this and don't talk to me about the Paris climate accord, the best projected uh, the best projected uh, results of that are one degree Celsius in 100 years. That's the best projected climate changing from that policy. So the Paris Climate Accords are a joke, and actually they don't actually do anything unless a country not only signs into the Paris Climate Accords, they actually pass legislation to back up the Paris Climate Accords. So the Paris Climate Accords by themselves do absolutely nothing other than preach to the choir. They don't do anything at all. Now, so if you want to change climate change, well, you can't really claim, change climate change. Your other options are adaptation. Basically, you make your civilization ready for rising sea levels. You build sea barriers where you can. You move people back where you can. You work in that sort of area. And the other thing you can do, which is my biggest solution to all this, is geoengineering. If you actually want to change the climate around the world to make it better for humans to survive and not like have all these oceans rising and have scorching, hot, super damaging droughts and all this stuff, the best way to do that is geoengineering. If you actually work with scientists around the world to actually develop systems, and we have plenty of these already designed, that it can actually change the global climate as a whole, that's more, much more productive than just enabling policy that doesn't even do anything, like the Paris Climate Accords that just preach all this nonsense that kills jobs and doesn't actually produce any results. And at the end of the day, I think the American people are much more worried about COVID and the economy and how they're going to feed their family if these governors keep shutting down their businesses than they are about possible rising sea levels in 100 years. So that's all I have for you today. Just a few things to think about on climate change and all of these crazy COVID and Biden's normal presidency and all this nonsense and obviously the best prank of maybe ever. And I'm really happy to be one of the investors in a part of this giant prank. Anyway, uh, until next week, we are going to be having another Why Christ episode released probably on Wednesday. And so you can keep an eye out for that. But until next time, I'm Lee Erickson, and this is The Lee Erickson Show. 